Good morning. Uh, it's really good to be here with you this morning, especially because you guys are indoors. I don't know if you know, Kevin is preaching at our church this morning at Scott Street, and it's the first of our two outdoor services. And so he's going to be in the sweltering sun, preaching his little heart away, and I'm standing here in air conditioning. How sweet is that? This is actually pretty cool. So uh, thanks for letting me come in here, and uh, thanks for Kevin. He's an amazing leader, an amazing pastor, and you really get to know someone when you pray with them every week, and there's a few of us, we meet weekly for prayer, and you get to know someone's heart that way, and he has an amazing heart for evangelism, amazing heart for God's glory, and uh, I think you guys are well served by having him as your pastor. So yeah, God bless you guys, absolutely. You know, when I look around here this morning, I sense the energy in the band. I sense the energy here amongst you. There's a certain buzz that's in the air, and I love that. I love the fact that you have kids as well. Uh, it would be sad if you had only old people sitting here. I bet you have lots of life, lots of programs, lots of activities that happen in this church. And I think it's absolutely great that you do that. And it gets me thinking a bit about the fact that when we uh, work with our kids, be it at home or in church, uh, especially at church, we do something called Plan to Protect. That we're really keen on protecting kids. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why kids sometimes get themselves into trouble. There's a reason why we constantly tell our kids not to talk to strangers, not to wander off alone, always be with someone that you know, right? There's a reason why we keep our eyes on our kids all the time and we're vigilant and we're ready to step in when needed. There's a reason why she's called Mama Bear. And he's called Papa Bear. And it's got nothing to do with cute little teddy bears, but everything to do with, have you ever tried to take a cup from its mom? See what happens to you if you tried. You will not live to talk about it. I'll tell you this. Mama bears become ferocious killers when it comes to protecting their cubs. And just like a mama bear, so we hover over our children. We have, you know, we protect them against all the harm in this big bad world of ours. And so we do what we call child-proof our kids. And we tell them never to be with a stranger. We tell them never to be alone with someone that they don't know. And never to trust anyone just because they showed up. This is, after all, a big bad world out there. And in which we soon learn that people cannot always be trusted. And that some people actually mean us more harm than they mean us good. And at the end of the day, we have to look out for ourselves. That's what we've been told. We have to look out for ourselves because no one else will. And so we grow up in this world as suspicious people sometimes, skeptical people, mistrustful people who, at the end of the day, for many outside these walls, rely on themselves instead of anyone else. We have learned over the years not to trust strangers, but sadly, not to trust anyone nor to rely on anyone. And we end up valuing self-reliance. In fact, uh, we in the West, we in America, we love self-made people, people who are self-reliant, who have made it on their own. And we look upon this with, with great uh, sense of accomplishment. We value it in others, we admire it in others, and we want it and desire it for ourselves, relying on no one, looking out for no handouts, fiercely independent, absolutely self-made. Life has taught us that. 
Life has taught us you cannot trust a stranger. Rely on no one but yourself at the end of the day. And without meaning to, sometimes this ends up shaping how we see God as well. Sometimes this shapes our approach to faith and our view of God. Because if you were to ask people on the streets, there is this lingering doubt whether God really is who he says he is. Not sure if we can really fully trust him at the end of the day, as we prefer really to rely more on us than even on God. This big bad world has made us into skeptical, cynical, and mistrustful people. It's how we see life, and it shapes how sometimes we see God. Dr. Dale Ryan wrote, People can develop an image of an unreliable God. He is seen as a God who cannot be counted on. He makes promises he may not keep. He may be loving one day and unaccountably angry the next. And so in light of that, many people prefer to make their own miracles, prefer to work things out amongst themselves, prefer to take care of themselves without anyone coming in and intervening. And I want to tell you this morning that nothing in all of God's word underscores this notion that God cannot be relied on. There is nothing in the Bible that says that God is unreliable or that he may not be there, or that maybe you can't trust him. In fact, it was Jesus who, in the midst of his teaching on prayer, points to the absolute reliability of a God who answers our prayer in a way that does us good and no harm. And I love the examples he gave of bread and stones and and fish, sorry, bread, fish, and eggs. And he gives us these examples as a way to point to the goodness of God in a skeptical world. Let me read it to you. So Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And over in Luke, a third one, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Think about that. Bread, fish, and eggs. That's the stuff of life. Add a cup of coffee, and we got a square meal here. And yet, for each of these words, for each of these ingredients, for each of these images, there is actually a dark side to it. And there is a pun on some of these words. There is a play on some of these words. What I mean is, there is a type of stone that exists that looks just like a loaf of bread. And until you bite into it, you wouldn't know. There is a type of snake that disguises itself as a fish in water, and you will not know the difference. There is a type of scorpion that folds its claws underneath its belly, and when it does in the sand, it looks perfectly like an egg. And you would never know what you were getting. It may look like the real thing, but it may end up being a fake or worse. It may look harmless, but then it could hurt you and bite you. A stone disguised as bread, you bite your teeth into it and see what will happen. It will hurt you. It will harm you. Just like a snake that would bite you when you thought you bought a fish. Just like a a scorpion that would pinch you. And this really speaks to the lingering doubts we have of, is God really good? Is God really there? It might end up as a stone or a scorpion or a snake. 
And so I'm not sure I'm going to ask him for bread, fish, and eggs. It points to this question of, can I really trust God? Everything about life, from little on up, has taught me to be suspicious, to trust no one. And maybe the question is, I can't even trust God, or how can I? And the answer to this question of, can I trust God, is you can absolutely trust God, because He is a good, good, benevolent Father. Let me read on in Matthew 6, where Jesus talks about, you know, if, he, if your son asks for bread, you give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? And then it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in other words, Jesus says, go ahead. Ask audaciously. Seek confidently, knock loudly. In fact, this is what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the trustworthiness of God. He is a good father and you can trust him. And over in Psalm 145, it's actually unwrapped for us. Let me take you there for a moment. I actually love the words of Psalm 145 because it positions God as this different kind of a king, as a good and unique king. Verse 1, I will exalt you, my God, the king. And if you were to read on into the psalm, you would find that it, it spills over into exuberant praise and into crazy testimonials of God's goodness shared between the generations, and all of it rooted in the fact that God is a king unlike any other king you've ever seen. You see, kings come and kings go, and politicians are a dime a dozen. And, and most make promises they cannot keep, and most overreach beyond their ability, but not our king. In fact, verse 13, halfway through the story, is this amazing statement that sets our king apart from the others. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And this is not the first time that the faithfulness of God emerges in the scriptures. You find it again and again and again. For example, Deuteronomy 7, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. First uh, Kings 8, it says, Not one word has fall, failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. And then Psalm 36 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. God's faithfulness. The scriptures teem with references to God's faithfulness. And that which is referenced in the Old Testament is, is, is fleshed out in the New. And so the New Testament, if you turn to it, you will find examples and an amazing case of God's faithfulness that shatters every false solution we've ever had, every nagging doubt we've ever had, whether God is faithful. So let me show you for a few moments four principles from the New Testament regarding God's faithfulness. And you can jot these down. The first principle of God's faithfulness is this. It is rooted in His nature. 
That's the first principle. It's rooted in his nature. It says the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And it links his faithfulness to who God is. It's his nature to be faithful. And you can no more change God's nature than you can change your own nature. The one who calls you is faithful. Really important that we understand that faithfulness is not something God does in his better moments. It is something he is in his every moment. Which means God will do what he said he would do. He's, he's bound himself to being faithful. He can never be unfaithful or never be unreliable or never be double-sided. He's limited himself to his faithfulness. Which brings me to my second principle in the New Testament of God's faithfulness. And that is because it's who he is, it requires no trigger points. There's nothing that you and I can do that triggers God's faithfulness. There's nothing that, that we can withhold that would withhold his faithfulness. I love what it says in Timothy. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And I love the fact that his faithfulness requires nothing from me. No trigger points. It is not my goodness. It is not how good I am that triggers his faithfulness toward me. His faithfulness is there because it's his nature to be faithful. It is not a possible response. Faithfulness is unconditional. It is his only response because it's rooted in his character and not in our status or good works or who we are. And so even in our worst moments, even when we are faithless, even when we have fallen, he remains faithful. Why? It's who he is. And how can you go against who you are? In fact, so sure was Paul of this that later on in verse 11, he calls it a trustworthy saying. It's like, you can take this to the bank. He can no more be unfaithful, he can no more be harmful than a bird can be a turtle. Or dog can be a fish. It's his nature to be faithful. It requires no trigger points. And then thirdly, God's faithfulness is always, always, always directed to his promises. To his promises. If you were to ask me where I see God's faithfulness, I would point you in the direction of every one of his promises, which as the old song says, cannot fail. Standing on the promises which cannot fail. And you know what? No one comes to mind better for me than good old Sarah. That's right, Abraham Sarah. Despite her faithlessness in her earlier years, despite her misgivings earlier on, she actually came into a place of trusting in the promises of God that spoke of a child for her, even though she was long past the age of childbearing. And so Hebrews 11 says, By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. God did not mock her. God did not toy with her. God did not pull the carpet out from under her feet. God didn't say jump, and at the last moment he pulled his hands back. He said jump, and his hands were there. He did not promise eggs, but then deliver scorpions. And it may have taken a lifetime for Sarah. And may well have brought her past the age of childbearing. But if God promised her a child, then God would give her a child. I mean, is anything too difficult for God? She considered him faithful 
because he made the promise. And so lastly, God's faithfulness makes us incredibly hopeful. And that's the fourth point. It results in hopefulness. God's faithfulness fills us with a hope as we look at life and all that life brings to us. I love the old King James language of the promise of God as being the yea and amen. In fact, let me read you the scripture from which that comes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. There's the yea. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Not only do the promises of God, not only have they become a resounding yes when Christ rose from the dead and justified everything, they also have caused us to say a hearty amen. And amen means so be it. We say so be it. We have a confidence. We have a belief The the cup is half full. We are not people of misery. We are people of hope. We are the people of the amen. We are the confident ones, the hope-filled ones. We say a hearty amen to the promises of God. So be it. Even if it takes a lifetime, so be it. Even if it follows after I'm gone, so be it. I want to close this morning by taking you back to Psalm 145 just once more. To this king, this idea of a king who is unlike any other king, unlike any other politician, unlike anyone on the planet. He's faithful to all his promises. And you ask yourself, hmm, what does life in such a kingdom look like? And I want to tell you, it's a benign kingdom. It's a beautiful kingdom. The king over it is benevolent to all. He makes the sun to, sh- to rise and the rain to fall on all in his kingdom. Let me read you verses 13 to 17. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fail and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper or appointed time, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. All living things benefit from the goodness and faithfulness of God. But I want to tell you that those of us who have sworn our allegiance to this king, those of us who actually call him king, Those of us who bow our knee to this king, he singles out for special blessing. There is benevolence to all, and then there is blessing to you. And it says in verses 18 to 20, it talks about the special blessing for those who actually have said, I will make him my king. Listen to this. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. These are those who call on him, who fear him, who love him. In other words, these are those who have sworn their allegiance to this king, who have bowed their knees to him. And this king, in turn, comes very near to those who call on him. 
He fulfills their desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them and he watches over those who love him. I know I've got to wrap it up here this morning. Gone, gone is this idea of a God I cannot trust. Gone is this question mark behind God's name of can I really trust him? Gone is the idea of me as self-made, as looking out for number one, as the self-reliant guy who only looks out for himself because no one else will. Gone is this idea. God looks out for his subjects in his kingdom. In fact, let me, let me read it once more to you. The Lord is near to all who call on him. The, the Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. If anything, behind God's name is a big old smiley face. Behind God's name is a big old heart. Behind God's name is an exclamation mark. Not a question mark. An exclamation mark. And so this morning, as you ponder this, there's a couple of things that should be res- we should be thinking about in terms of responses. The first one is, who wouldn't want to bow their knee to this kind of a king? I mean, who wouldn't? He's benevolent. He's benign. He's beautiful. He blesses. Would there be anyone here this morning who would say, I don't want to serve such a king? Of course not. And I realize... That uh, for most of us, we've, we've bowed the knee, we bowed again and again. But this morning, there might be one or two here, and you've never really done that. You've never really bowed your knees. You can do that right now as I speak. Right at this moment, it requires nothing more than for you to say, God, I bow my knee to you. I make you my king. I want to call on your name. I want to fear or respect your name. I want to love you with all my heart. And from that moment on, you're, you're in the kingdom. You're a subject. Uh, he singles you out. Your life will begin to make sense. The second response is one of faithfulness. If God is this faithful, I want, to be, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful in my dealings. I want, to be, I want to be benign and benevolent in my business dealings. I want to be faithful in my relationships. I want to be faithful to God's word. I want to be faithful to, to ethics that guide me. I, I don't want to be faithless. In everything I do, I want to be faithful. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Lord, as we now go into conversations and fellowship, we pray that that we would hear uh, the word of God in our hearts. And as we then respond in worship, oh my, may we worship you with everything we have. Thank you for how benevolent you are, how beautiful a king you are. You watch over our coming and going. Lord, we trust you. We may not trust many in this world, but we have no problem trusting you this morning. The God with a big old smiley face behind his name. I pray this in Jesus' name.